Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. So good morning. If you're tuning in with us for the first time, we have been spending the last month or so going through the Ten Commandments. And because God is so efficient and so smart, He did so much more with the Ten Commandments than just giving us a list of do's and don'ts. I mean, of course, it is a list of do's and don'ts that if society follows, things run more more smooth. Like there's there would be more societal peace, more stability. But the Ten Commandments also do a couple other things. They show us how life is best lived for our own sake. You know, kind of giving us basic parameters for how God designed life to be lived. It's kind of like a 10 bullet how-to owner's manual. You know, shows, showing us things to avoid that will put a wedge between us and God and a wedge between ourselves and others. But the Ten Commandments also show how failed and broken we really are. Recently, my husband and I realized that our deck was about ready to collapse. And um, one day in particular, he was trying to show me while the kids were outside playing all around us about how one of the beams on the deck or underneath the deck was bowed. And initially when he pointed it out to me, it looked fine. I couldn't tell what he was talking about. But then he had me shift my stance and I moved over to a different angle so that when I looked at the bowed beam, I could also see a straight beam in the line of vision. And it wasn't until I saw both the straight beam and the bowed beam that I could see how messed up and how bent the first beam was. And we are bent, we're crooked, broken, we're sinful. And sometimes we can't see it, especially when we try to measure ourselves against others who are crooked and bent as well. But God gave us the law so that we would have a straight beam of morals to compare ourselves to, to show us where we're off. So through this series, the hope is that we would learn how to live our best lives, not just by hearing God's like top 10 rules for life, but by comparing our life to God's standards so we can make adjustments where needed. The commandment that I have been assigned for today is pretty straightforward. It's the sixth commandment. It's found in Exodus 20:13, and it says, you shall not murder. Now, I bet many of us when reading through the 10 commandments, look at this one and think, okay, Got it. I've got this one covered. Sabbath, not so much. Honoring father and mother, well, I messed that up a few times. But murder, I'm good. Well, if it was that simple, I could tell us that we're done and we just need to pray and then we can move on with our day. But honestly, in today's cultural climate, I think this one in particular is extremely important for us to study and think about. I had a loved one one time who is an agnostic say to me once, we don't all need Jesus. If we all just followed the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, we would be fine. And I didn't argue with him because honestly, if we did live that way, it would be great. But I also thought to myself in that moment, have you really read the Sermon on the Mount? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes some of the Ten Commandments and basically takes them a whole other step, or maybe you could even say 20 steps further, to show how pure and righteous God's standards really are. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus covered this particular commandment of thou shall not murder. It says this in chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, Jesus just kind of skips over murder here. It almost can be assumed that he considers it ridiculous to think that his followers would even think about that. But what it does show us is that Jesus is taking this to the next level. And that's sobering, I think, if we look around the world today. I mean, it seems like everybody's angry at somebody. And you can look at these words and say, whoa, I mean, Jesus, really, that's just unrealistic. But what's happening here is Jesus is getting to the source of the problem, the root of murder. Most of us are not going to murder. I mean, at least I sure hope not. But while anger is not a sin and certain things do deserve a righteous anger, Jesus is warning us against an anger that gives way to a sinful response. Anger doesn't have to be sinful, but it also has a way of taking us to a place of sin. Anger doesn't just come out of nowhere. I mean, usually there's a chain of events that brings it about. Anger begins, oftentimes, if we think about it, with unmet expectations. Now, it could be a legitimate expectation that you have, like that your spouse won't cheat. Or it could be an unrealistic expectation that you have, like that a friend would immediately text back to you every single time you text to them. When an expectation goes unmet, we can often become offended. And then once we're offended, we can let that turn into anger. And then that anger undealt with can turn into hate. <clears throat> and then that hate uncontrolled can lead to murder. Almost immediately, if you look in the Bible, you'll see recorded in all the human history that we find in the Bible, that almost immediately anger is an issue. In Genesis chapter four, there's the account of Cain and Abel, who are the twin sons of Adam and Eve. And in this section of scripture, Cain and Abel both bring an offering to God. And the Bible says that God was pleased with Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Now, theologians have some ideas as to why Abel's was looked upon favorably and Cain's was not. But to be honest, we have no way of really knowing why this was the case. What we do know is that Cain became so angry with God's response that he murdered his own brother. Cain was offended by God's response. He assumed, he expected that his offering would be pleasing as well. And this offense led him to murder. And we see as we keep reading through the Bible that this happens again and again and again. I mean, it happens quickly in Genesis. We get to Joseph and his 12 brothers. I don't know if you remember that story, but Joseph is, is one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob was a patriarch of the Jews. And Joseph was his father's favorite. He treated him better than he treated any of his other sons. He gave him a, a coat that, that is often called the coat, the technicolor coat of many colors. You know, it, there was a musical made of, out of it. But anyway, this doesn't sit well with his brothers, understandably so. And Joseph 
the problem too is that Joseph doesn't play down the fact that he's the favorite. He, he, he obviously is somewhat conceited about all of it. He has dreams about the fact that he's better than his brothers and he brags to them all about these dreams. And so the brothers become so angry with Joseph that they plot to kill him. Joseph's brothers rightfully had an expectation that they would be treated fairly by their father and loved equally, but they became offended and we can understand why, but they let their offense turn to anger and that anger to hate and then that hate to thoughts of murder. You know, thinking about this one morning, I thought about an image of a rusted old truck. Brian and I are thinking about buying a truck right now, but we have a family of six. And so if we think about it being useful, not only for carting things, but also for potentially carrying our children, we know we need to get a truck that's on the bigger side of things. One of those extended cabs like an F-150 or there's a few Toyota Tacomas that have an extended cab that could fit six. Anyway, as we've been looking at these trucks, I've been amazed at how massive and strong they are. You know, that if if they were in a wreck with another car, they would obliterate the other vehicle, unless it's rusted out. You see, if rust goes unchecked and ignored, even in the body of a massive truck, it eats away at it. And then just the slightest brush of the finger can cause the rusted metal to break. Unchecked hurt and offense and anger in our lives is like rust on metal. If we ignore it and don't deal with it, the slightest thing can cause us to break. You and I both know people who fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. I mean, you may be the person you know who flies off the handle at the drop of a hat. But odds are those people, or you, depending upon the case, are probably holding on to offenses and allowing them to rust out your soul. God doesn't want us walking around on edge like that. He doesn't want us to do that for our own sake. He doesn't want to do that, have us do that for the sake of those around us. He doesn't want us to hurt our spouses and coworkers and children and friends and people we don't agree with on social media or the waitress at the restaurant or a person that's in front of us in line. But when we don't deal with our own anger and our own hurt, unfortunately what happens is we just stuff it. It doesn't really go away. And then unintentionally, we let it spew out on people who don't deserve it. In some cases, not only do we not deal with our anger, but we actually elevate it. Like we wear our offenses almost like they're a badge of honor. We make them a part of our identity and, and they become motivation for how we live our lives. We take an offense and, and we think about it and we hold it and we let it direct our perspectives and our actions. And the more offenses we carry, the more easily offended we become. It's like the offenses take over and skew our view of the world. It's like we put glasses on of offense and we look around and we see things differently because of that offense. Well, like, like now, for example, because I'm buying a truck, I see a truck everywhere. But if you are looking for an offense, which happens when you stuff offenses, you stuff that bitterness, you start to look around for reasons to be bitter and it starts to rust out your soul and you become even more easily offended. This is not the will of God for us. This is not the will of God for you or for those around you. It's not good for your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Sometimes when we're offended, it's because people have legitimately hurt us. 
Maybe they've callously not considered how their sin will affect us. I mean, I think about an unfaithful spouse or an abusive parent or a person who's gossiping at work or someone who says a racist remark. I mean, there's tons of ways where people can legitimately hurt other people. But sometimes we get angry just because someone doesn't want to do, doesn't do what we want them to do. You know, sometimes it's really an unrealistic expectation on our part that goes unmet and we don't like that. And so we get offended, even though our expectation is not one that they need to meet or maybe even can meet. And when we're hurt or angry and we've got this undealt with stuff bubbling underneath, we become extra sensitive. It's like the rust on the truck. And in that pain, in that bitterness and anger that we don't deal with, even if someone just looks at us sideways, we get even more hurt. It's like rust on a truck that goes untreated. That bitterness in your soul, it spreads and it grows. You know, there have been times when I've been angry or frustrated with Brian, my husband. Now, it doesn't happen very often because he's almost perfect, but there have been times. And there there are choices I can make in the process. Like if he goes to work and I'm already angry at him and he's at work all day long and I don't deal with my anger, when he comes home, I can interpret his actions, whether he's aware of my anger or not, whether he is angry at me or not, I look at him and look at his behavior through my lens of anger. And I oftentimes will only get even more angry with him. So for example, if he says something in a joking way, instead of laughing with him, I get irritated about his cynical sarcasm and thinks he needs to adjust his attitude. Or if he says a one-word response of no, I hear it as him being insensitive and short with me instead of him simply just saying no. My offense has gone undealt with and now that rust is growing in my heart and the slightest thing can cause me to break. Everything is skewed because of that bitterness and that anger that I'm holding on to. And here's the thing, in that situation, even if Brian is completely wrong initially, even if I have done nothing in the initial action that made me angry, because of my reaction to him after work, now I'm in the wrong too. My bitterness has caused me to treat him poorly. And what's interesting in Genesis 4 is that God sees the anger building in Cain before he killed Abel. And let me read to you what God says to Cain. It says in verse 6 of chapter 4 in Genesis, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must master it. Sin is always crouching at our door. When we've got unresolved anger and bitterness in our hearts, it's just sitting there ready to leap. God warned Cain and Jesus warned us, while not all anger is sin, if unchecked, all anger, whether justified or not, can easily lead to sin. You have a choice in the matter. The choice is the same choice that Cain had, that God warned him about ahead of time. You can either sit in your offense and let it fester into anger, or you can go to God and you can ask him to give you his perspective, to help you to forgive if you need to forgive, or maybe even just to adjust your own expectation that may not have been realistic to begin with. 
And in doing this, we choose to rule over that sin instead of it enslaving us. Forgiveness is the key to all of this. It is the key to obeying the sixth commandment. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance. It is a choice to let go of our desire for retribution. It is a giving up our need to see justice being served. Forgiveness does not mean you forget. It doesn't mean that you condone or excuse what someone else has done. What it means is that you trust God with them. You trust God to hand out the consequences or the punishment, and you no longer fight for a harsh sentence for them. You know, this is why we ask God for his perspective when someone has hurt us. I can't tell you how many times I have done this and God has given me a perspective I didn't even consider. Like with Brian in particular, God has shown me simply that, God, that Brian isn't me. You know, God didn't create him to be just like me and to think just like me. And our differences aren't sins, they're just differences. Sometimes people just outright sin. We can't explain it any other way. What they have done has caused hurt for you or me. But sometimes God shows me that they're functioning out of a hurt from, the, you know, from their own past, or they're functioning out of a misunderstanding or a spiritual blindness, or it could really be my own realistic, unrealistic expectation that's really the fault. But when we go to God with our offense or our anger or our bitterness and hatred, when we choose to forgive, we do not allow the sin to take hold. We stop the spiritual rust before it eats away at us, and we let go of a burden we are not meant to carry. You know, if you think back to the two Old Testament accounts that I've talked about, there's something else interesting that we need to see. The direction of their anger was misplaced in both situations. Abel had done nothing wrong. It wasn't his fault that God wasn't pleased with Cain's offering. It had nothing to do with him. But Cain was blinded by his anger. And because of his perspective, because it was skewed in that anger changed what he could see, his misdirected anger led to him killing his brother. And even though you could argue that Joseph was a bragger and thought more of himself than he should have, the source of the issue came really from the father's sin and not Joseph's. If, if, if Joseph's father hadn't shown him favoritism, Joseph might not have, have had such an elevated view of himself. And even if he had been conceited, his brothers would probably not have been offended to the point of murder. But in both cases, the anger that was allowed to fester and to rust away at relationships made enemies out of people who should have been loved ones. This is so important for us to get. God desires us to, in particular in the body of Christ, to love one another. And when we hold on to bitterness and resentment in our hearts, there is very little room for love. And where there should be unity, there's division. Ultimately, the people we are supposed to love, we end up hating. When we get angry at others, our perspective becomes skewed and our perspective of them and the world can get skewed. We forget that they are loved and valued by our Heavenly Father, that they were made in the image of God and valued enough by God that Jesus died for them. 
You know, I mean, I even think about people we don't necessarily know, but they still impact our lives. We forget that that politician we can't stand was made by God, loved by God, and valued enough by God that Jesus died for them. And we forget that that boss who frustrates us at every turn, not my boss, but maybe your boss, um, is loved by God. I mean, my boss is loved by God, but I mean, not frustrated at every turn. Anyway, that those people that frustrate us are loved by God, made in the image of God, and valued enough by God that Jesus died for them. Anger blinds us, and it blinds us to the real source of our division. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 6, it says something very important that we need to keep in mind. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rules and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The object of our anger, like Cain's and Joseph's brothers, can easily be misplaced. And the result is unfair treatment. Our battle is not against the people we're frustrated with. There is an enemy in the spiritual realm who is working very hard to divide us as much as he can. You know, I had a friend who was assigned jury duty for an awful case. I mean, this was years ago, but it was something awful. It was like murder or child abuse or something horrible. And she was telling me about it after the fact, and she described it as this intense burden to have to, one, hear the awful details of the case, but two, then to sit with the other jurors and have the burden of deciding if the person was innocent or guilty. Because a wrong decision by the jury could have horrible and long-lasting consequences for everybody involved. When we hold on to anger, what we are trying to do is hold on the right, hold on to the right to be that person's judge and jury. I don't want to carry that burden for every single person who's ever wronged me. And God doesn't want me to have to carry that burden either. He doesn't want you to have to carry that burden. We've got to choose to forgive. And when we do that, we give the burden to God. And he honestly is the only one who can judge fairly. He's the only one who sees every angle and every aspect. We've got to trust him with the outcome. Romans 12 is such a good reminder in this situation. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, you could be thinking, Yeah, but I know my situation. I know all the facts in the case. I know how wrong that person was to me. And maybe you do. But in those times, I want you to look to Jesus in those instances, okay? Not only did Jesus teach us to love our enemies and to forgive those who hurt us, but he lived it out. He actually did it. I mean, think about Jesus when he was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember the story, Peter was with him, one of his most devoted disciples. And when the guards came and approached Jesus, Peter took up his sword and cut off one of the ears of the soldiers. Peter had good facts. He knew that Jesus was innocent. And Jesus knew the facts too. But not only did Jesus stop Peter from continuing to harm the soldier, Jesus turned around and healed the soldier. 
He healed the man who had come to put him in chains. And then you see Jesus on the cross after they had beat him and mocked him and spat on him. And most of his friends had abandoned him. And in that moment, as he's dying, as he's suffering a horrible death, unfairly, he's asking God to forgive them for hurting him. He says, they don't know what they're doing. He recognized that they were blinded by their own anger. They couldn't see who Jesus really was. Jesus forgave his captors and his killers while we struggle to forgive the person we argued with on social media. When we look at it that way, we realize just how far we have to go. You know, when we see Jesus actually living out the Ten Commandments perfectly, we see how bent and how broken we really are. In light of all that, we have got to remember something very important. We know the Ten Commandments is a rule book for good society. We know that it's a manual for how to live well and a plumb line for measuring how we are doing. But what the Ten Commandments are not is they are not rules you and I must follow in order to get into heaven on our own effort. The commandments are there to actually reveal to us and to prove to us that we can't get to heaven on our own. You can't live up to all these Ten Commandments. You may think you can, but you can't. We are incapable of it. Romans 3.20 makes it clear. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight, but the works of the law, by the works of the law, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And then in James 2, it says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. If the only thing you've ever done wrong is talk back to your mother once and not rested on the Sabbath twice, you still have failed. And we know you've done more than that. And according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, even if you've never murdered anyone, but if you've in your anger sinned in your response, you've failed and you're guilty of breaking all of them. So this is a great way to end a sermon, isn't it? Well, it is, because it gets us to the point of the matter. You can't do it on your own, but what was impossible for you is possible for God. God knew this from the beginning. He knew we couldn't hit the mark, and so he sent Jesus to live a perfect life in our place, to die the death he didn't deserve, so you and I wouldn't have to get the punishment our sin deserves. He died on that cross in our place willingly to make what is impossible possible so that you you and I can have a relationship with God now and eternity with God forever. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about how the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of every believer. You know, we'll never do it perfectly, but we can do better. By the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, even if sin is crouching at our door, because of that spirit, we can choose to rule over that sin instead of letting it rule over us. Sin no longer gets to have control over us. Sin no longer defines us or enslaves us. If we have made Jesus the Lord and the leader of our lives, if he is our savior and our master, we are defined by Jesus and not by our sin. We are, designed, uh, we are defined by his work on the cross and not our failures on earth. 
Over and over again in the New Testament, Paul writes that we are to live a life worthy of the calling we've been given. And so that's our job. Jesus made a way for you to be a child of God. And by his spirit, he has equipped you to live a life worthy of that calling. So who do you need to forgive? Are there people you're angry with or, or maybe not even really angry with, but you're just mildly offended by and you know that that is like putting this bitterness inside of you and it's growing? You need to deal with it. If there's anger or bitterness that's growing in you, kind of like that rust in the truck, you've got to go to God about it. And so that's your homework for this week. I want you to spend some time. I want you to talk with God and ask for his perspective. I want you to ask him to help you to forgive those you need to forgive. Now, this is hard work. It's not like this is just, okay, God, I'm going to choose to forgive that person and it's over. You know, when you get rust in a truck, what I have been told by people much more knowledgeable than me is that it is not a quick fix. It takes grinding away all the rust to the point where you get only good metal again. And then you have to polish that down and you have to, you know, seal it up and then paint over it. It is a process. And for some of us, depending upon how much unresolved anger or bitterness we are holding on to, it might take a lot of work. It may require hard conversations. It, it may require real soul repair. But I know that this is what God wants for us. It may require more energy than you want to give to it, but on the other side of it, you will be thankful that you did. You know, for some of us, there are such significant hurts and pains in our lives that maybe we need to talk to a trusted friend about it or a pastor or even a counselor. You know, we have a team of people at church called Stephen Ministers. Now, they're not counselors. By any means are they counselors, but they are trained to help walk people through difficult seasons of life. And we have people available and willing to pray with you and to encourage you and to help you as you walk through some of these harder issues, like forgiving someone that has been very hurtful to you or dealing with just overwhelming bitterness inside of you. And so I'd encourage you, if you filled out that connect card by, by texting that number earlier on the screen, or if you haven't done that yet, go back and do it again. And when you fill out that card, if you're interested in a Stevens minister contacting you, just check that you would like to be contacted and we can make sure you can do that. But what we don't want to do after hearing about God's desire for us in this commandment, we don't want to let anger and offense and resentment eat away at us. We want to do the hard work because ultimately we want to live in the freedom that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you know our needs for you. Lord, I thank you for the ways that each one of us have been hurt and have been sinned against. And Lord, I thank you that you also know where we have a skewed perspective and where our hearts have hardened or rusted out. And so, Father, I pray by your spirit that you would help us to walk more fully in your will and in your way, that you would guide us and direct us to who we need to talk to or, or what we need to pray about. And Father, I pray that you would fill us once again with your spirit to enable us to live as you want us to live. Lord, that we would live a life 
worthy of the calling you've given us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a good one, guys. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.